the most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Welcome to the show. Today, I have Sherry Corbett. I'm really excited to talk to Sherry about what she's doing in her business. She's been speaking at MPC, traveling all over the country, sharing some of the stuff she's doing with, focusing on niches. As well, this show is sponsored by Lendful.ca. So if you're a mortgage broker and you're like, hey man, I wish I could find you know, an unsecured lender to help out my client, Lendful can help. They do loans up to 35 grand and they have a principal and interest payment. So then there's times that you can you know, reshuffle debt, help somebody qualify, or just help clear up something that they need to get done. And the coolest part is they actually pay mortgage brokers. So they're easy to use. Check out lenful.ca and Sherry, welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks for having me. So we connected quite a while back and I know in the last year, well, actually I'm actually getting ahead of myself. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage business. Okay, uh, so I've been a mortgage agent or broker for 10 years. Previous to that, I was a realtor and I was in new home sales and I had I'm a so, life. I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that. I'm, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the realtor <laughs> thing. I'm so sorry that you know. I know. I know. Well, We'll get on to that when you ask about failures. So yeah, I had a I had a major life change, an accident, and it put me where I needed a new career. It put me on bed rest for quite a while and thinking about new careers and I wouldn't be able to go back to my current one and mortgage brokering kind of fell in my lap because it has the same skill sets as, as the realtor has. And I thought, okay, I can do that. And my realtor experience would be complimentary for myself. I didn't want to carry both licenses. So I did give I did give the realtor one up so I could focus exclusively on mortgages, wear one hat, so to speak, and be an expert in one thing. So yeah, I've been a mortgage broker for 10 years and I have an office in Brooklyn, Ontario. I have a staff and I have three team members under me. So we're small but growing. Small Just but moved small but mighty, right? Right. So the leadership thing is new to me. I'm enjoying it. I love it. I think I have the right people with me. And I'm excited about I'm really excited about 2019 because 2018 couldn't have been any better. So right. let's see what 19's got. Stuff you're doing. So a question for you on the re- moving from being a realtor to a mortgage broker. How was that transition? So, because it's a different trade, it's almost like plumbing and electrical. Yes, they both have to do with the house, but they are different in terms of some of the specialties and stuff and even different personalities are attracted to them. So how did you find that? Well, even more so for me, because I was in new home sales, I wasn't a realtor in the resale market. So in new home sales, it's more order taking than anything. It's matching up the client with the product, which is exactly what mortgages are. Somebody comes in and you either need to match them up with the product, you need to match them up with the rate, a term, solution. And also it's okay to say no to somebody, both in new home sales and in mortgages. If you can't help them, if you don't have the closing date that worked for them on the new home side or the price range that worked for them or the neighborhood, you just don't have it. You're, you have product. Though I did do a little bit of resale on the side. My, I was mainly in the new home world, which I loved very much. And I enjoyed it. I was very good at it. But, you know, being, it's like having a boss and I'm not meant to have a boss. I'm meant to be my own boss. So you would have set hours in the office and you'd be every weekend and every holiday because that's when the clients are out and that's not what I wanted for my life as I grew. So the skill set was very, very similar, like extremely similar in new home sales, particularly to mortgages. Right. Actually, that's a, a, I never thought of that distinction. So hashtag girl boss. That's like, that's, <laughs> right. So I see some books and stuff come up like that. And I have two daughters and I am coaching them to be girl bosses. And my wife is certainly a girl boss. So before we dive into the rest of your story, though, I always love quotes. We have them on our walls of our office. 
So what's a uh, quote that's really had an impact on your life or business? Well, I actually, I have one on my wall of the office too. And it says, go the extra mile because it's never crowded. I like that one. Right. So, okay. That's a great quote, actually. So we just recently, this is funny that you bring that quote up. We just recently were read, we've got moved into a new office and we were, everybody was giving their quote that we're getting a, a sign made for. And one of our team members, that was the quote she chose. So Jasmine, who works for us, she's like, Hey, that's the quote. So how have you applied that to your business or your life? That quote, go the extra mile because it's never crowded. I just, I feel like if you do extra, if you go a little bit further, you make a few more points of contact with the client through the file. You call the lawyer twice, not just once. You do all those extra follow-ups. You go all that little bit extra on the file side of things. I think clients appreciate it because the feedback is, and, and we're given this feedback by our governing body. So we should take it, we should absorb it, and we should change to meet our clients. But the feedback is that people didn't like the amount of communication they had during the mortgage process, that they didn't like that they never knew what was going on or they had to follow they up with like their mortgage provider. Enough, not because it was too much. It wasn't that it was so you're you're saying that they weren't getting enough communication yeah they weren't getting enough communication and if we're told that whatever the number is 80 percent of clients felt that the only thing they change is more communication throughout the process then change it it's not rocket science these guys are doing the work for us and giving us the feedback so that's what it means to me by going the extra mile it means making that extra touch point making that connection being genuine yeah right that's really really I, I think that I totally agree and we all appreciate communication you know what's interesting is that I don't know if you, every once in a while, we'll, when my wife and I go on a date, we'll pick up a Domino's pizza for the kids because it's cheap and easy. But Domino's has an amazing like app that you can see where your pizza is. It'll tell you if it's in yes. the oven. And I'm like, you get more data on a ordered pizza that you've ordered than the average mortgage broker shares on a file, which is insane when you think about yeah. the, what they've invested in. I walk in and I can see up on the wall. It's like, Scott, your pizza is three minutes away. It's just getting, you know, quality check or whatever. And you're like, holy smokes. Like, so yeah, like we people that that's, we're not just competing with, we're competing with dominoes in terms of our ability to communicate well, you know, really, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah we that's what our society is expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. They expect that. They're like, wait a second, I'm, I'm getting a flipping mortgage for $300,000 and I get more info from a dominoes pizza that I ordered, which is crazy to me, but okay. So end rant, I want to ask you about failure. Cause I know that I personally, you know, been self-employed now for quite a long time and failure is something that happens but there's always lessons in it when you get through it. And so can you share something you failed at and then the lesson that you learned? Well, it's more a lesson I learned. I realized that the first year in business, I wasn't authentic to my own marketing. I read the cookie cutter books and did what I thought I had to do, which is a lot of like chase realtors and have coffee dates, lots of coffee dates and things that weren't genuine to me. So I feel like I wasted my first year not finding my own voice because I believe in mortgages like anything that you're self-employed for. It's about having a voice. It's about being different and recognizable and not turning down the right, the wrong client when you need to. Yeah. So I think my biggest failure was basically wasting a year because my first year I did one mortgage (laughs) and I had a storefront. Like I, I believe go big or go home. So I got my mortgage license, opened a storefront, sat there and said, okay, now how do I get deals? And uh, I feel like I did everything that everybody else does. When I know that I have a bit of a creative side, I should have just listened to my creative side and done my own, done it my own way. Actually, now you brought this up, I got to ask. So what is something that you did in that second year that started you, that was authentic for you and started to help you build your business? 
I'm very charity focused. So we started running charity events there. For example, in Durham region, we have this big event at the Humane Society. We do that. My biggest event of the year just happened on Sunday. It was the Prince and Princess Gala. It's a gala for children and support a charity, but it's lavish and it's all about the kids and there's princesses and pirates and people go, well, I don't get what that has to do with mortgages. And you don't have to. It's just about me being out there as a business owner, connecting with other business owners, getting sponsorships and doing something fun. Probably because I have a six-year-old princess myself, so she's a good inspiration for the gala. Another thing is that I run my business a little different, so this might not suit everybody, but for some people, this might be a really interesting point. I co-own my business, my storefront, with an insurance broker. So she does home and auto insurance, and we co-share the storefront. So we also kind of share a database. We're always here for potential referrals from one to the other because if they're getting home and auto or a mortgage, they might need the other one. And we decided to offer income taxes out of the office. Our first year, we both sat here. We're both brand new. We had the storefront and we said, okay, now what? <laughs> so we started offering income taxes out of the office just to bring people in. Low price point, $40, just gets the deal done. And if it's a difficult file, we have an accountant that we refer to or a bookkeeper that we work with. And yeah, to date, I've stepped away from doing the income taxes. I'm way too busy. So is my partner. She's busy too. However, we have staff that helps now. And we do about 800. In a small town of 7,000 people, we do about 800 income taxes. So we are very well known in our particular town as being a one-stop solution for all your mortgage. Docs. Oh, wait, I got them. Like, so yeah. out of curiosity, 800, you'll do 800 in a year. Like how, what percentage of your business do you think has come from uh, relationships you've built from the income tax angle? I would, yeah, about 20%. About 20% is in that database alone. It's a little lower for me. Um, I know my partner does a lot more. Home and auto is an easier, mm-hmm. you know, it's a product frequent, to get. It's a more frequent product too. It's every year they go. Yeah. But it gets people through the door. It gets people through the door. And then we we tell them the other services we offer. And they go, oh, we didn't know that. And it's like, yeah, no, we're your one stop. We got your, we got everything you need right here. And people like that. So yeah, partnering, who would have thought to partner with an insurance broker to share an office versus sitting with a, in a realtor office or sitting in another, in a, with other mortgage brokers. So that really made a big difference. And it's about having the right partner. So I have the right partner. We've been together. We've had our doors open for the full 10 years. Yeah. And we're both, we both started it was quiet and we're both about the same level of business. So we've grown together. And that's awesome. Good. That's a, that's, you know, in almost 200 interviews, I have not heard anybody tell me of this particular strategy. So thank you for sharing. That's a, that's a creative oh, uh, solution that you had. And, and it was also authentic for you. Right. So one of the questions I like to ask is if you were starting over, let's say we pick you up, we move you to a new town, you sold your book of business. So you have no past clients, you have no contacts in the first 90 days. What are the things you would do to get your business going again? I would host community events because you don't need to hit people over the head with the fact that you do mortgages. That'll come. They have to know you first. They have to like you first. So I would absolutely do community events. I would host a community yard sale. I may host a Euchre night. I have a Euchre night at local pub. Are you good at I'm not bad. Uh, I'm better at Euchre than poker. Okay. I, I haven't played it in years, but it used to be a lot of fun. We played it in high school all the time. Like was, uh, well, we've, we've hosted a few Euchre nights here in our town and we set it to 50 because the pub only holds 50 and it is sold out every time. And we don't even charge for it. There's, they show up, we have a couple appetizers, you pay for your own drinks. It's just a fun night out, right? So yeah, if I had 90 days, I would host, I would host a ton of events and just be in the community. Be visual. You got to be visual. Don't be a secret. Nobody can work with you if they don't know you. 
Yeah, that's aw- that's really really good. That's a great. I, this, I, you know what I love about these conversations is I have no idea what you're going to say, and so then I get these <laughs> awesome. Uh, so okay, another question I want to ask. That's back, that's sort of restart. But what what is something the biggest change that you've made in your mortgage business in the last twelve months? What's something that you've adjusted or changed? Because I like to know sort of because it's a, it's an ongoing thing. It's not like we're you're just done, right? Like your business is always evolving. So what's something that you changed? Right. I've had a few big changes and I think some of the questions will touch to this, but one, I hired a full-time staff member. First one, big leap because you kind of look at your books and you go, well, it's hard. But number one thing I did was, was hire somebody that I know, like trust and I delegated, I handed things off and I, it, what a, what a difference, what a difference. So there's that one. The second one's a little different. It is the fact that I had this kind of goal to maybe be a public speaker maybe try it. Wasn't really sure. And I decided to, with the support of my mastermind group, they said, oh no, put put a couple speaking proposals out and do it. And uh, I was fortunate enough to speak at last year's national conference for the MPC. And I'm speaking again this year at the MPC. But in January, they reached out to me and they asked if I wanted to travel Canada and speak in all the provinces, except for Quebec, because I don't speak French, but offer me to speak with them. And that's something, you know, I, A, I'm happy I had the home lifestyle that allowed me to travel. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm glad I had the support in the office that could let me do that. But that is a once in a lifetime experience. Like I got to see all the provinces. I got to speak in front of peers and share my marketing knowledge. And taking that risk was rewarding. And it's something I'll never forget at all. Was I nervous? Absolutely. Was I excited? More so. More nervous. And uh, yeah. Awesome. It was a fun experience and I'm really glad I did it. So the two things were hiring an assistant to help you, a full-time assistant. And the second thing would be just taking this opportunity to go speak. The thing about speaking and training in general is that it really forces you to know your stuff, right? Like they say, if you, when you teach, you learn twice. So you understand something, but then when I got to explain it to you, I really got to, I got to like, okay, do I really understand this? And how do I get so that you understand it? So there's definite benefits to taking the time to teach or mentor this you're learning as well. And that's really, really good. Okay. So you're in our coaching program. And so I just want to ask you about your, what's one thing that you picked up from being a part of our coaching program for the last year? There's a lot of nuggets that I get every time I talk to you and work through your program material. I mean, it's fabulous. If anybody's looking for coaching, I would say probably the biggest one is that you can't do it all and you've got to delegate. So I trust my, my staff members to do the work. I brought on for piecemeal, not another full-time person, but I brought on somebody that I could hand over the stuff that was falling through. You once told me in a one-on-one conversation about uh, which one gives you the most time for your money, like the payback. And that really, I kind of try to judge activities by that. I kind of look and say, okay, is writing a couple blog posts worth my time versus doing file work versus having a coffee date or going to a networking event. So I kind of, I weigh things better now because I look at everything. I can't do it all. You just can't. There's too much on the to-do list. So by breaking it down and and having help. So the biggest thing I would say was that knowing that I was at the level that I could move on, I could move forward and and pass on the stuff I need to my And everything would still get done. So that's a, yeah, we, we have a phrase we always say in our office, only do what only you can do. So this idea that if it's, you know, we, everybody has two or three core areas where they're, they're particularly strong and as much as you can't always, but as much as possible, try to be in that sweet spot because that is how you're going to scale. And if you're in your sweet spot. If you're, you know, out networking, that's your sweet spot. You can't delegate networking. You can't say, hey, can you go to this event? Like, because yeah. that's you, right? Like, so there's things that, 
or even writing a blog post that's your voice that potentially has the reach, you know, hundreds or thousands of people. Again, that comes back to it's only only you can do that. That's not something, you, but somebody else can pull a credit bureau. Somebody else can scan documents, right? Absolutely. So, okay. Next question I want to ask you is, all right, so these are some rapid fire questions. And what do you, you can answer these a little short answers if you like. What's the one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful? Time management. Yeah. Time management, understanding how to spend your time most effectively and getting through the priorities first. And what's one thing or habit that you think has made you successful? It's going to sound bad, but getting enough sleep. I don't function well at night. I know that 10 o'clock at night working at files, I take five times as long. So just go to bed and get up early. So knowing your own rhythm, I'm the same way. It, like literally my wife watches me just start to power down. I'm like, you know, in the morning, I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm on fire. In the evenings, I'm just like, I can't, my, you know, she's like, your face is falling asleep. Like hold yourself together, right? So that's really good to know that about yourself. And so, okay, what's one internet resource? So it could be like a, a you know, a Dropbox or Evernote or a specific mortgage resource, kind of like a Lendful that you have used in your business that you found to be helpful. Oh, I like Zoom. I've started implementing that for my client calls. I think that's really useful. I'd say that's probably... Do you, sorry, I interrupt sometimes. I know I shouldn't, but do it on video or do you do a screen share or how are you using Zoom in those? Video. Video? Video. I think I want to have face-to-face. I'm one of those people who connects better with my clients. So even though we don't do a ton by remote, I've implemented Zoom. I like it. I like it very much. Yeah. So I'd say that would be one of the top ones. Zoom. Yeah, we use it while we're on Zoom right now. And uh, we, I love, I love the program. It's, it's very stable and it's just, it's a great program. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? I actually have it on my desk. It's the Disney way, dream, believe, dare and do. It's about taking any type of management style and following, I'm a huge Walt Disney fan, following the Walt Disney world companies philosophy on how they treat their staff and how they treat how they look at leadership, which is all about empowerment. It's about trusting the people around you, having them be invested. It's a very, it, it's not a business book I think most people would pick up because you wouldn't think to pick it up unless you're, you know, diehard Disney fan, which I am. But once you do, you pick it up and you go, yeah, there's a reason they are arguably the most successful entertainment juggernaut in the industry by far. Why it's the happiest place on earth. Why you go there and you open your wallet and say, here, take my money. They've got it down. They've got it down to a science about how they treat their clients or customers or guests, I guess they call them, how they treat their guests, but also how they treat the cast members, which is their employees, how those people are empowered to make decisions. And as such, they enjoy their work, which comes back to the guests. Right. Yeah, that's that's really, really good. You know, I would be if they got into the mortgage business, I'd be afraid You know, if they said if they took that philosophy and said, we're going to go big and we're actually going to Know, love on people and our staff. Like, man, that would be a, be quite the mortgage company to work for. But that's really good. I, it's not a book I've read, but I have been consuming more books lately and I'll put it on my list. So uh, where do you think our industry is headed? Where's the opportunity? I think the opportunity is going to be a lot in uh, the the alternative lend. I think self-employed people are, as always, by the wayside and a little bit shuffled and lost in the rules. So I think explaining to them more in depth how how paying a bit of a higher interest rate, but showing less in your income taxes. I think there's a huge market there. There's a ton of people who are self-employed because they're trying to make ends meet or they have two jobs or things like that. And there's a way we can help those people. So if the banks say no, I, I mean, it's, it's such a coined phase, but phrase, but if the banks say no, it doesn't mean it's a no. Right. And we Just need to get out that. there and show them that. So I definitely think the opportunity of this industry will be the B lending. Right. That's good. 
Okay, last question. So this is a new question that I've been personally being coached and I've, I get asked questions and this is one I love. And so if I had a check and I wrote it out and it was $100,000, Sherry Corbett, but I got one condition on it, Sherry, here's 100,000 bucks. You have to put it into your business. What would you do with that money? Oh, there's so much I would do. And the analytical mind of me would be like, oh, 20,000 here and 20,000 here. No, I would spend it on uh, a couple of things. A, education, because you can never, ever learn enough. There's an expression, first you got to learn to earn. I believe that. So I definitely uh, continue with the coaching program, education, seminars, things like that. I put it into Google AdWords. We use Google AdWords. We do get phone calls, the phone rings. So I would do that. But you have to have a healthy budget in order for that to make even a dent. Just get to the surface, right? Because otherwise yeah. you're not spending enough. You don't actually get to the point where- You don't go, you don't get anywhere. So I would put a good healthy budget towards that. And the last thing I do is I would literally have a community event like monthly. I love them. I love getting into the community. They're a lot of work, but if I had that kind of money, I'd have- I'd have more time to do that because I'd have staff member in the office. So if I had staff member more in the office, I could run more community events and I'd get it there and be the face of the community. Awesome. I, okay, I the love check. it when somebody says, I, I, I'm sending you the check now. So I'm just kidding. Oh, good. Watch for it. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You win. Um, okay. That's awesome. So anything, last words, anything I should have asked you that I didn't, by the way, I've really enjoyed our conversation and your energy is like, you know, anyway, but you've always been like, you got, you got good energy. So anything that I should have asked you or last word before we wrap up the show? No, I don't think so. I think uh, we we covered a lot, but the big thing for anybody listening is if you're not sure what to do, or or for some reason you have spare time on your, on your hands, learn, go out, take a program, take a, a webinar, whatever. I don't necessarily enjoy webinars as much as in person. I find that the energy boosts me up. Like in November, I'm going to Tony Robbins in New York. Somebody recently asked me, they go, don't you think you do too much education? Like you're always out there doing education because I'm leaving for Montreal in two days. No, no, I don't think I do too much education. You got to, you got to know, you got to enjoy it and absorb it and hear it multiple times. So yeah, I would say the one thing, one good piece of advice, in my opinion, is don't skimp on your education. If you can, go to the industry professional conferences and have a coach because never be the smartest person in the room. 